Uh, it's a real privilege to, to share with you guys this morning something, the, this topic, the remember the poor and one of the vineyard distinctives, honestly is something that, that is personally really important to me. Uh, it's something that, that God has uh, just worked into my life. And you may wonder, why, you know, uh, why, does, why, does, why does God love the poor so much? And we're going to kind of address that a little bit, but can, I just want to read a couple passages out of the Old Testament, and we're just going to st- just start there as, as a reference. This will give us a perspective. God has a heart for the poor, and if, if you have a Bible, go to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7, and this is the, the Lord speaking to his people. He says, if anyone is poor among you, your fellow uh, Israelites, in any of the towns and in the land that your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you, don't be hard-hearted and tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend to whomever, whoever's in need. Be careful not to harbor a wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow people. But give, give them that they may or give to them, or they may appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you, be open-handed towards your fellow people, those who are poor and needy in your, in your midst. This is like a really key passage because it's the Old Testament. It's a picture of, the, of God saying, hey, hey. There's, there's poor people around. They're always going to be there. And the reality of it is, is he, he basically says, you know, it says, it says, don't be hard-hearted and tight-fisted, it says in verse 7. The reality is that, is that for uh, the people of God, when our, when our hand is held like this, when we're tight-fisted, it means that our heart is hard. It's a picture. The, the, to the nature that we are compassionate and generous shows the reality of what's going on inside of us. It's a, it's, it's a real deal. And he says that, you know, that I want you to be open-handed and generous and give freely to all those that are in need. Because that's how God is. He wants his people to do that. And honestly, it's challenging because he says it's sin if you don't give. You know, I always think of sin, hey, I did a bad thing. I do lots of bad things. Do you guys do bad things? And, and uh, so I think, well, I do a bad thing. That's a sin. The Lord says if you don't do a good thing, that's a sin. It's a whole different paradigm. Like, I'm going to hold you accountable. But if you do, if you do learn to be generous, then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to, everything you touch is going to be, like, wonderful. I mean, not wonderful, but it's going to be blessed by God and all the work of your hand. So that's the picture, you know, so being generous is, is it, it's like a flow of the compassion that God gives us. We give it away, and it, 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 it enables flow of the life of God to happen. As soon as we turn off a valve, right, and say, I, I, this is for me, and get constipated and fat, and, you know, the, it stops the flow of God's presence through you. And it, it, and, it's, and it is an indicator of what's going on in your heart. Are you a taker or are you a giver? It's just the reality. And, and God's heart, you know, it says, the, 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 um, elsewhere in Deuteronomy, it says that God, God he, he defends the cause of the widow and the orphan. And he loves the alien in your midst. God's heart is for people that are on the fringe. It's just true. 
And you may think, well, okay, well, so God loves the poor. That, I mean, he, that means he doesn't love anyone else, right? I mean, is that, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't think so. Do you ever, have you ever worked with children? Have you ever been, like, in a preschool in the city or a daycare center, and you'll, and you'll see, like, lots of kids from different backgrounds, and there's kids that are, like, spiffed, like, really good clothes, and you know that they're really well cared for, they're, they're from good, uh, strong families, you know, they, they, and, and the teachers love them because they, they're polite, right? And they, and they color in the lines, and they don't throw things. It's like, oh, we, you're like an amazing, beautiful young kid. And then there's, a, there's some children that are, that maybe their parents are going through a divorce, or there's violence in the house, and they come hungry, and their shoes are, are, have holes in them, and the other kids make fun of them. Look at your shoes. You know what I mean? The, the heart of God is like God, God, you know, if you and I would walk into that preschool, we'd, we'd have a heart for all the kids, hopefully, right? would be like, man, but our heart would lean towards the ones that were the most vulnerable, right? It would just be a natural thing for us to notice the kids that are in a difficult place, that need extra care. And that's really, the, that's really what motivates Jesus and what motivates the Father is not that, not that if you're doing well, that he, he doesn't, like, you don't deserve any of his attention. It's just there's people that are, like, on the fringe. And, and they're, like, on the cliff, and it, they could just fall off. And the, the, the goodness heart of God is that, you know, the widow and the orphan and the alien, no one's going to watch out for them but him. And he wants his people to have that same heart. So, you know, caring for the poor is just systemically central to, 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 the, to the vineyard. Um, there's a, a, a really smart lady in the, that uh, she's actually a professor. She's an Indian woman, and her name is Deepa Narayan. And she's, um, she's one of the leading thinkers in terms of global poverty, world poverty. And uh, she used to work for the IMF and the World Bank. And she's done a bunch of studies on, on poverty. And she's interesting to, to ask someone from India, ask someone from, uh, you know, to define poverty. And, and, and I was just reading some stuff by her this week. And she, she's, she's really brilliant. She's really tough. And she'll say, you know, people like to talk about poverty that don't know poverty. Like, you're going to define it for people. If you want to understand poverty, ask poor people. <laughs> like a novel idea. So she did this research project uh, in, and published some work where they, 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 they spent time with 60,000 of the world's poorest people in 60 nations and asked them about their experience, asked them what was going on. And, you know, people, we, think, we tend to think of poverty, it's obvious, right, because you have a lack of what you need to survive. You know, lack, I mean, that, and that's pretty basic and that's true. The thing that surprised her in her research was that there, this is the quote from, from, her, from her paper, and it says, this is what she, uh, uh, Dr. Nyan says, is that poverty is multidimensional with many non-economic factors. In spite of all the different contexts in the world, there are striking similarities in the experience of poverty globally. The defining experiences of poor people worldwide are this, three things. Number one, Highly limited choices. Number two, inability to make, for them, to make themselves heard. Number three, inability to influence control over what happens. So the universal experience in, for her, her research is the most devastating problem with people that are in great need is 
that they feel like they don't have a choice, like they have no choices that have any consequence in their life. They're stuck. No choices. Secondly, that they have no voice, that they're not heard, that they're not even, people don't, aren't interested in what they say or what they need or what they think. They're just, it's, they can't even hear them or see them, that they have no voice, and that they're powerless to change their future. And in those three things, which uh, the, you know, the organization Compassion International says the, the most devastating aspect of poverty is hopelessness, is the most powerful uh, attribute. What, what we're going to do today is considering those three things about, about um, you know, no choices, about no voice, not being heard, and being powerless. We're going to take a look at, some, at a passage in the New Testament where, where Jesus is confronted with mass need, a huge need. And we're going to watch how Jesus addresses all three of these um, issues, really. So if you have a Bible, we're going to read in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35 and then uh, through uh, verse 10. So now would be a good time to pray, <laughs> okay? So, um, Father, thank you so much for, uh, um, Lord, this, this moment right now. And, uh, Lord, I pray as, as, a, as a group of people, all of us, that we would, that we would just really open ourselves to, to hear from you. And... Uh, that you would kind of rewrite some things on our, on our hearts. Pray that you would encourage us and challenge us. Make us more like you. That's really our prayer. My prayer today. Pray this in Jesus' name. So how does Jesus respond when he's confronted with great need? This is, what, this is in the, the text in, in, in Matthew. Can, can follow along with me. It's starting in verse 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called the 12 disciples, his 12 disciples, to him and gave them authority to drive out unclean spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Start, skip down to verse 5. The 12, these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any of the towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or, co or, or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay in their house until you leave. And as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest upon it. If not, let your peace come and return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, 
Leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than that town. I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. So, where we're at in this story, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been doing everything up until this point. He's been, he's, he is the, the Messiah come. He, he's doing all, the, it says, the beginning of it says that Jesus went through all the villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing. He's, he's doing the ministry. And, and people are wowed by the ministry of Jesus. And it says that in this context, he gets to a place where he looks out, and, the, and, and it's not just a little group anymore. It's a huge group. And he sees a crowd, and what he sees rocks his heart, because he sees great need. It says he sees the crowd, and he was full of compassion, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he, he, he said, hey, you know, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. And then he called the 12. So at this place in the ministry, Jesus is at a place where I don't know how many people there were. Maybe there were 1,000 people. And he looked at them, and instead of being in a city, Jesus, in his mind, saw a field. And the field was full of sheep. And they were abandoned by their shepherd. And he calls those sheep lost sheep. And he says that those sheep were harassed and helpless. They were in trouble. And he could, he could see them and he could hear them crying. Do you ever hear like a sheep cry? You know, he could hear them. He could see them. And it says that Jesus was moved by compassion. And the word compassion, it means a visceral emotive response. Like you, you ever see people like, uh, you ever watch the news and, and you're in Syria and this great devastation happens and people, what do they do? They go, they go to the ground. When they see something horrible, they can't even stand because they get, feel great pain in their heart. There's such pain emotionally that it, they, it's in your stomach. Compassion is in your stomach. That's why they thought you're, that was the seat of your emotions in your stomach in the, in the New Testament. And so Jesus was moved by compassion, and then he acted. And so, you know, according to the, uh, uh, you know, the professor, is that, you know, these people are, are voiceless. They're not voiceless to God. They're not voiceless to Jesus. Like he, he saw them and he heard them and it touched his heart and he did something. It's not true. It's not true that, that, that people, inter- it's not true that you're not seen. It's just not true. No matter what you feel or think, God sees it. He, his eyes penetrate through everything, through flesh, to look at your heart and know what's happening inside of you. It's just not true. It's, it, it's a, and the, the response to global poverty is that 
is that you're not in, to, to the Lord of the universe, you're not invisible. It's that you're seen and you're heard. And it's, it's an a, a, amazing reality. Now, what happens in this context is you think, okay, this was Jesus' big moment. Remember he said in John, I'm the good shepherd? You would think, I mean, there, this could have went lots of different ways. Jesus could have run down in the middle of the city and said, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd is here. I will care for you. He doesn't do that. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about, uh, about angels that would come and harvest and care. And, you know, maybe there'd be a, a release of angels that would come. doesn't happen. The plan that God has to deal with great need on a, on a, corporate, on a big level is that he calls people to himself. And he empowers them to act on his behalf. It's ama- it's, uh, here's why it's significant. Uh, I, I, you know, I didn't know much about sheep, honestly, until this week. I was reading about sheep, studying about sheep. I didn't know that sheep were, that, that like 11,000 years ago, in the Eastern cultures, they started to domesticate sheep. Do you know sheep, when they're wild, you can't tell the difference? Like a ram. Think of rams, Right? They're wild, and they're, they're like wild like in the sense they're courageous, they're bold. They climb to the top of the mountains. They, they're really agile and strong. They're great fighters. You know, they have the big horns. And what happened is, is that sheep became domesticated, and they got fat and lazy and ate, and, and it's true. And they, they couldn't, all the, they were eating, pooping, and making milk machines and wool machines. And... and I'm sorry, I wasn't allowed to say that, but it's true. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's true, though. And so this, this like, majestic creature was, was limited to this domesticated, and, and it would grow great fur, and they'd shave it. And it was so important, it was an important commodity in the, in the ancient world, because you could have milk, you'd have wool, you'd have meat, like everything it provided. But the problem was, is the sheep, they... they uh, they, they, couldn't def- they couldn't climb. And, and they, would cl- they would, sheep, if they didn't have someone to care for them, they would look up and say, oh, there's a nice patch of green grass. And they would climb up to places. And since they weren't agile anymore, what would happen is they would fall and die. So they'd get someplace, eat. They, they couldn't back out, and they would fall and die. It was tragic. And, and, and the other thing that I didn't know was that sheep, when their fleece was large, if somehow they climbed in a place that they weren't supposed to, if they ever fell on their back and were upside down, they were unable to climb, to f- turn their body over and stand up again. I didn't know this. So there's, you can YouTube it. Go to the YouTube and you'll see YouTube sheep on his back and you'll see them. <laughs> it's, it's the f- I mean, it's the funniest thing, honestly. I know it's not funny. Animal activists would like have... It's, but it's funny. They're like, they cannot get up. And it says in this text that Jesus looked at the people and he said they were harassed and helpless and shepherdless. And what he saw was a, was a crowd of people that a good portion of them were upside down and didn't have the power to turn themselves right side up. They couldn't do it. They didn't have the power to do it. So they would either, in, in the real life, sheep would lay there until they died or some, someone helped them. Let me help you up here, buddy. You know, boom. Isn't that funny? 
And that's what Jesus saw. He looked at people. He saw helpless people. He saw people that were harassed, that there was wolves hunting, hunting. You know, death and disease and despair and sickness, hunting. And there was no one to defend them. There was no one to fight them off. And Jesus saw it. He was so moved with compassion that he had to do something. The amazing thing was is it wasn't him that was the hero at this point. The, The way forward for the kingdom of God was not Jesus doing everything. It was him empowering sheep to be sheep savers. Now, the, now what, it's surprising. So he says later on, he says, I'm sending you, the 12, out like sheep among wolves. So the answer to rescuing sheep is to empower sheep to be the savior. Not, not hire a, a, a shepherd to come, not like, you know what I mean, have sheep dogs, collies that are running around, but to actually transform someone that is living, someone just like them, and put the power of God on them and the commission of God on them and send them to go and write the, sh- write, write the ship. That a sheep would go, a fat sheep would go and show its teeth to a wolf and the wolf would run away. And, they'd go, and, they, and they would, the fat sheep would go to his buddies and say, you know, Dave fell down. we got to go help him. Come on, let's go, let's go help the brother out. You know? you know, like they would do what's completely out of character for them to do. That was the plan of God. Isn't that an amazing plan? It's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing plan. And these people, these sheep that he's called, are, they're, they're, they're still domesticated sheep. That are, they're not superheroes, but he's making them to be superheroes. The interesting thing, so what happens is that, is that Jesus, in, in, in this passage, it says he called those uh, he called the twelve to him and gave them authority. In uh, in Mark's gospel, the same passage in Mark's gospel in, the, in in chapter three, verse thirteen, it's the same passage. Mark says that Jesus called to himself those he wanted, and they came to him. And so, what happens is that Jesus is calling people all the time, and he wants them. He wants you. Like, if you ever wondered, does God want me? He wants you. He loves you. He's like, he's like chasing after you. He's, he's, he's calling you. And the people that, that, that make a difference, the people that actually become transformed and empowered and, and super sheep are the ones that actually say yes and come and respond to him. They say yes to him. They come to him. And, and Jesus wanted them to be near him, not just so that they could be, you know, superheroes, but so that they could know him. He, it, what, what creates this revolution of overcoming poverty is two things, intimacy and authority that, that, that God has for people, that they could know him and be intimate with God, and that he does, the very thing that he does is he puts authority on people, the most unlikely people. Like, who would pick sheep to save sheep and to fight wolves? God does. That's what God does. And so he puts authority, he puts his authority on them. And authority, you know, authority is power. God empowers you to do something that's beyond your ability to do. But then he gives you permission to do it. Like you have a domain. 
you have a place where your authority is valid. And when God says, I'm sending, remember he was really specific. He said, I'm sending you here. Don't go here. You know, don't go to the Samaritans or Gentiles. Right now, the mission is to the lost sheep of Israel. You go there, there'll be anointing and authority on you to do what I've called you to do. You've got to stay in bounds. You've got to stay with, with God. So that's the plan. It's an amazing, it's an, it's an amazing, so uh, uh, there's choice, though. Do you, do you see what there is? When God calls you and he says, hey, 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 come, come to me. I'm calling you, come to me. I, I, I want you to know me. I want to know you. I already know you. I want you to know me. Come to me. That we have a choice to come to him. When Jesus preached, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn and believe. He doesn't force people to turn. He doesn't say believe. It's always choice. So the woman, you know, the, the social scientist said that, that the thing that overcomes poverty is being empowered to choose, right? Having a voice and just being, having the power to change. And so we see Jesus actually doing the very things that these, you know what I mean? Jesus was way ahead of that social scientist about what really transforms a people. Choice. They're seen and he empowers them. He gives them ability to do things they could not do before. And, and the, the plan isn't just for 12 guys. The, the multiplication of authority. It says freely you've, you've received, freely give. So the, the 12 guys received authority from God. He says, now I want you to give it away. It's not for you. What I give you is never for you. It's to give away. It's never for you. It's to give away. And as you give away, I'm going to put more on you. This is the way it works. And so, so they go into, he sends them out into the villages. And he says, freely you've received, freely give. So they give authority away to all the people that they serve. So authority is being multiplicated, multiplicated. And we see this in the, in the, you know, in Luke chapter 10, 12 becomes 72. And the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, uh, 72 become a people, the church. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to, teaching them to do everything I've commanded you to do. I'm with you always until the end of the age. The mission of Jesus is, it, it, we're all called to be empowered, superhero. Think Sunday, Saturday morning cartoon, a sheep, a fat sheep with a cape that can fly. And they can, they can dive bomb wolves. And it growls and, and all the enemies are afraid. And then it notices its buddies that fall over and says, we're going to help you up. You're not in this alone. That's the vision of the people of God that Jesus sees. It's, it's a radically transforming picture. I just love it. The interesting thing is that, um, that when the sheep go, when God releases the 12, he has them go in, in, uh, in need. That we tend to think, I tend to think, that if I'm going to do something for the Lord or do something significant, I've got to have all my resources on the front end. I need to be trained. I need to have a plan, right? I need to have resort money. I need to have connections. I got to have all this stuff figured out. Then I think we'll move forward. You know, I'll be ready. And what I'm trying to do is minimize risk. I'm trying to minimize failure. And then, 
and not, I mean, nothing happens. You know, that's when people, when they try to help the poor in the city today, they throw money at it and throw programs at it. What happens? Nothing happens, right? Nothing, no change happens. But these guys, look at this. Look at the plan of God in verse 9. He tells the guys, hey, hey, sheep, this is the plan. Don't take money with you. Don't, don't get any gold or silver in verse 9 or take any, anything in your belts. No bag for your journey. No extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worthy of his keep. He says, so you don't go full. You go needy. You go in, in interdependence upon the people that you're going to serve and dependence upon God. And that makes us uncomfortable. But that's the place where the, where the power and the provision of God happens, is when you go with empty pockets, and you're going because the Lord told you to go, and you're, you're like, Lord, if you don't sh- show up, uh, it's ain't going to happen, right? It's not going to work. And the amazing thing is, is it breeds dependent, dependence upon God but it does something to the people that you're serving. Because what happens, it says that, that you go into a town, and where are you going to stay with the people that you're serving? It says, go to the house of the people that you're serving. Find a worthy person, go into the house, stay with them. Don't move around, it says in the passage. Don't move around. Stay in the house till you're done. Look for partners. Don't stay at the Motel 6. Stay at someone's house. Eat what they put before you. Bless them like you carry peace on you. Let your peace bless them in their house, the peace of God. And they're going to provide for you, give for you, house you, feed you, care for you. And so the very beginning, the people that, that you're serving have ownership in ministry. Do you understand that? that? That they're giving back to you. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've helped someone that doesn't have very much. And in their heart, they're like, they, they like prepare maybe something to give you, like a, a food or, you know, their wife makes something and they're like, we really want you to have. And you know that they, they may not have two nickels to rub together. And they took everything they had to make something to give you. And in, in, in our false humility, we say, no, 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 I can't take that. You have to take it. Because you, what you do is you empower them and they, the value that they have is, is, is it's, it's just so important. That's what Jesus does. Jesus was born a baby and he had to receive you know what I mean? Someone had to change his diapers and protect him. He, came, he, he made himself vulnerable and needy. He wants us to be vulnerable and needy as well. Do you see how that works? And it's not just for us. It actually empowers when people, we let people, when we need them to give to us, it make, it, 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 we're not like, we're equal. Do you understand that? This is like super important. And in, in the third world, like if, if you're, I was just talking to my wife about this because she grew up, she grew up in Eastern Europe during the communist raid. And, and, and they, they had, I mean, they, she stood in bread lines, and you got tickets, you could get so much. And, you know, she's like, I had one pair of shoes, you know, and we didn't, you know. For Christmas, she would get uh, an, an orange and Nutella, and it was there, a chocolate. And that was, like, the greatest gift you could get is an orange and Nutella. And she didn't. She said, I didn't know we were poor because we were all together. You know? And what, what, what we need to learn from the poor is, is, there's a, is that poor people share. They share. And when you share something, it builds relationship, and relationship is what true riches are. So if, like in her apartment building, uh, 
that she grew up in, we, we, you know, we go back there all, all, all the time. Well, not anymore because her mom died. But we'd go back there. And the way that it worked is like you, you needed something. You'd go to your neighbor. Hey, I need sugar. Oh, yeah, I can have sugar, you know. That, they, that during the days of communism, they would stand in line for, to get flour, and their neighbors would stand in line to get meat, and they would change vouchers, and they would share so they could get as much as they could. Or if someone had a connection you know, to, to get chocolate, you would share it with the people that you loved, and then they would share with you. And it builds relationship, and relationship is true intimacy and true riches. And see, we don't know that because we're fat and full, right? For most part. And so, but in this, Jesus is teaching them, you guys need to receive from the people that you're serving. I did. You have to do that as well. It's super important. And, and so, um, uh, there's, the way that Jesus deals with poverty, it doesn't, it doesn't belittle people. It empowers them. And it puts them the same place. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're brothers in this deal. We're the same. People are people. At the bottom line, People are people. The, the thing that God wants to uh, encourage us is that he's inviting you and I into this adventure because there's relational connection that, we, that, that he wants us to know like real relationship and real connection, real giving and receiving and giving and receiving that he wants the people of God to, to actually understand and know. There's joy that you don't have any clue exists. Do you remember how this story happens that as the multiplication of authority and, and super sheep is increased? <laughs> and so in Luke 10, he takes 72 and he puts, you give them the same thing. Come to me, I'll put power and authority and go and do the thing. And they come back. Do you remember the text? It says they return with what? Do you remember? The, anyone know this? They return full of what? Joy. <laughs> so you return with joy when you, when you love the lost and the least and you see all the provision of God that's directed at reaching this, these people. And you come back thinking, oh my gosh, this is like, like, I didn't know this kind of joy was possible. So the 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 horrible picture of, of you know, the, 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 the field with sheep upside down and wolves, Jesus changes it and says, behold, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Like, he's saying, hey, guys, this is, like, amazingly good. This is the place you go where it looks bad, it looks dark, where it's poor, where, where everyone's afraid, where the wolves are, where people are dying. That's where you go. That's where life is. That's where power is. That's where joy is found, like real joy. When you go there, and you give of yourself. You know, there's a guy, I'm almost done. There's a guy that came to our church, like I don't know, like seven years ago. Joel Vessel, you remember him? If you guys have been around. He, he's a missionary in Asia. And, and he told us a story. Where, when he was just graduated from, from, uh, from university, he went to Calcutta, and he met Mother Teresa. And he was volunteering as like a, like a student. And she walked in the building. Mother Teresa walked in the building. And she went up to him and said, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm here to volunteer. And she, and she asked him a question. She said, do you want to see the face of Jesus? And he, and he 
said, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, yeah. You're freaking me out right now. <laughs> so she took him, it's a true story, she took him into one of the, the parts of their hospice, and there was, a, there was a, like a man that was dying of dysentery. And he was like 70 pounds, bone, and he was lying in his dysentery. And, he, and he was, he was, it was his last hours. And Mother Teresa said, Joel, if you want to see the face of Jesus, go and hold him and comfort him till he dies. And he said it rocked his world for the rest of his days. That, that, he, that as he looked in this, this man, that no one wanted to touch him because there was diarrhea all over him. And he held him, bloody diarrhea. And he held him and looked in his eyes that, that he looked in the face of Jesus. And he was never the same. There's an encounter both of, of power, of connection with God and joy that we won't know unless we say yes to, the, to this call, honestly. We gotta learn how to say yes to it. I gotta learn how to say yes to it. And this, the, the, Jesus is really smart. He's smarter than this PhD because he had it all figured out from the very beginning, which she observed. You see that? Empowerment, a voice opportunity to choose and be different. Isn't that amazing? Let's stand and welcome the Lord. Thank you, God. Yeah, I, you know, I just encourage you. I, I feel like that there's, there's just some of us that are pretty needy right now. Honestly, you're, pretty, you're in a pretty needy place. And, you know, in the world's eyes, need, it kind of freaks people out. They, get pulled, they pull back from it. I want you to know that God will never pull back from your need. And I feel like today he, he really wants you. And what I'd, I guess what I'd encourage you to do is we'll have a time of worship, but, but not that you need prayer, like prayer from us, but that you would come and, and just come and kneel here and cry out to the Lord and bring your need to him and say, God, I need your help. I have nowhere else to turn. I turn to you. Would you come and help me? And, and cry out to him because he hears you and he will come to you and he will change you.